Welcome to the Red Rabbit Podcast. I am your host, Ticket Hickory. In this season of the Red Rabbit Podcast, we will be listening to book one of W.H. Ellingsworth's The Endless Falling of Dreams book series. So without further ado, the Red Rabbit Podcast proudly presents W.H. Ellingsworth's The Endless Falling of Dreams book one, Orthodoxy. Fare thee well, brave travelers. Episode 6, The Journal of Inspector Almier, Part 1. Inside the Belmont, a few cops inspected the theater. On the front stage, elevated maybe six feet above the floor, an animatronic woman stood hunched over, but on her feet. She looked like a real human in every way. Her cheeks were soft and round, her lips slightly parted, and her eyes horribly sad. A slight amount of loose weight hung from below her triceps, while some makeup was put on her face and a smear of mud on her legs. The strangest feature on her, though, by a considerable amount, were the tears on her cheeks. Next to her, two young cops took notes, checking out a panel that opened behind her back. The stage was wildly decorated. The back of the stage was painted so that the stage looked like it were built on the top of a great mountain range. And in the center of the stage... A giant golden tree. Another robot stood in front of it. This robot looked like a deformed man. He was dressed in a tattered sackcloth robe. Below him a young woman, much younger than the machine with the gun. Also scattered amongst the stage in no particular order were giant monstrous mechanical birds, a large tower, and what looked like part of an old wood boat. What is all of this? I said to myself loudly. I noticed a dead boy's body in the back row of the theater. He was slumped back, his head dangling behind his chair, an ashen circle on his chest. A couple of officers were sweeping for prints near him. Fingerprints? Only his, one said. The officer was a little older than me with a slight staccato voice. He shook his head frustratedly and looked up at the machine. What are they trying to do with this stuff? Only a matter of time before Vier gets hold of it and uses it against us. This was a growing complaint against technology across the city. Everyone thought anything we made would end up just being used against us later. Some people had even began protesting the Axiom building. But then, the other half of the people thought Axiom and technology were our only hope. Was there an actual human being around when it happened? Only the theater owner, but he was inside his office. The creator of the play gave him strict orders. Seems this theater was being used as a trial run. The real play was going to be performed on the Metacropolis. The Metacropolis was a man-made planet, two planets from Bacchus. Artists, aristocrats, young bohemians, all gathered there, making plays and music while the rest of the ICA crumbled. And toiled. Was? The writer's dead, too. He'd been poisoned. People say he got threats over the play from some sort of fanatics. Probably a bunch of overly devout aliens. They never found the killer? No. He's dead. And now this kid, a week later, working on the same play? 
That's the situation. Well, what's the chance of that? The dead boy was a terrible sight to see. He was young, maybe 26. I could tell he hadn't shaved in a while, and still there was hardly any hair underneath his chin. Some sort of miracle, I guess, the officer said, bending over a seat and checking for more prints with a scanner. Nothing here. Got a name on him? Isaac Proteus. No wife, no girlfriend, a job as an engineer, and a family back on Califax. No enemies, no real connections. What about the actress? You check them? I said, looking back at the girl with the gun. Her eyes looked sadly at the floor, and again I couldn't look away from the tears underneath them. We did. No prints. They were wiped clean. We got a company name for who made them at least? Yeah. Axiom. The officer said with a cynical laugh. Great. The officer stood up, let out a deep sigh, and leaned against the seat. He pointed toward the robot girl. This is too much. This is too far, he said. We're replacing actors now? Even the arts? I think it's sick. It's sick. I wouldn't worry too much. I'm sure the Vier would blow them all up anyway. The cop didn't laugh at my joke. He kept shaking his head and pointing at the girl. Where's the theater manager? Downstairs in his office. I took one last look at the engineer in the ashen circle in the middle of his chest. He was a kid, and you could see it even in his lifeless face. There was a peculiar thirst, even in his dead eyes. A sad hunger I once knew. You should talk to the old man. Who? I asked still absorbed by the dead boy. The old man who owns this place. He's downstairs. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. As I walked by her on my way down to the old man's office, I had a hard time not looking at the girl. The machine, I kept having to remind myself. But I still had a lot of trouble. The woman's, or I should say the machine's, sadness was so acute. It couldn't be any more realistic without being real. Maybe we should unscrew its head and check in there, one of the officers near her said. The comment infuriated me, like they were being disrespectful to her. But it was like accusing someone of being disrespectful to an unplugged microwave. It didn't make any sense, but it was how I felt. The theater manager's office was buried about 20 steps underneath the stage. It was a medium-sized room with hardly any light and thousands of books on the shelves that spiraled across the wood plank walls. A dozen or so posters, plays performed in the city before it became a mausoleum, circled us. The manager sat in a leather chair across from his desk, a female cop speaking to him. He was a slight, refined man with white hair and a round, dimpled chin. He wore a gray suit, but hung his jacket on the chair and had unbuttoned his dress shirt. His eyes were red, maybe from crying, maybe from not sleeping. Most people suffered from insomnia. You couldn't blame him. It was practically impossible to sleep with those lights in the sky getting bigger and bigger, inch by inch, second by second. I heard reports that ICA's space fleet was making a final push, one last step before surrendering. Sometimes I had wished they'd simply gotten it over with. I was hardly alone. 
but then you get to thinking about what life under the Vayer would be like if you even did get to live. Inevitable atrocities and purges would start immediately. I heard things were already terrible on Saturnus, which was only taken a week earlier. Vayer would eventually burn everything down, every piece of culture that made the planet, every ounce of individuality would be purged, uncreated. It always made me wonder why anyone would want to do that. Why would anyone want to so openly embrace being the monster? I guess I didn't understand monsters enough. Not yet. There was no one there. Just him. Just the boy. The manager said, his voice fading in and out. It would crackle into tears, and then he'd hold his hand over his mouth until he could speak again. He wanted to watch. He just wanted to watch. Sir, you have to calm down. Have some more water, please, the officer said, nodding to a glass on his desk. The man took some and wiped his head. His eyes looked swollen. The officer turned and looked at me when I came in, and then back to the man. There's someone here to talk to you. I'll stay here with you, Moreau, but I need you to answer the man's questions. She leaned over and put her hand on the man's shoulder and waited like that until he nodded. Then she got up and walked over to me. She was in her late thirties. I'd worked with her before, but we didn't speak much. He shook up pretty bad, she whispered to me. She leaned forward as she spoke making nervous eye motions toward the manager who sat, shoulders slumping, sipping from his water. His name is Moreau? Yeah. My father went to school with his wife. They knew each other. A different life. He wouldn't talk to anyone at first, but I got him to calm down. He's real shook up, real shook up. What'd you get out of him? I felt an incredible urge to keep everything moving. Nothing much tears mostly. He keeps saying that the boy wanted to see the show. I guess it was closing down since the writer got killed, but the boy wanted to see it anyway. The manager figured it wouldn't be a problem. What was he going to do with the robots anyway? Where was he when it happened? Downstairs. Said the boy knew how to set up the machines. The boy set up the machines? Yeah. They're Axiom products. Makes sense enough. And then the machines killed him? Must have been some show. I stepped past the officer, who seemed so concerned over the man I wondered if she'd even let me talk to him. The manager's hands were shaking, and he spilt some of his drink on his shirt. Moreau, is it? I asked, trying to sound as polite as possible. This wasn't easy for me anymore. I never was the sort who had a lot of friends. Some of that was situational. Some of it was my fault. But I moved around a lot after my father died, never really establishing any roots. As I got older, I found that I treasured my privacy and wasn't interested in the politics of mutually beneficial associations in the department. There were acquaintances along the way, but nothing ever too deep. Perhaps some considered me their friends. I wouldn't be able to tell you. Life had a way of forming forward and looking back at every detail did not interest me. All of this mattered even less now. With what was on the horizon, a lot of people weren't in the mood to start new relationships. 
New relationships meant more future losses. My name is Inspector Almier. Murrow looked up at me and began to fix up his appearance, but his mouth hung open still, and he put his hand over it again. The boy wanted to watch the show, correct? Yes. Excuse me, Inspector. I just can't believe it. I was down here in my office going over some paperwork when I heard the shot. I don't even know. How did the robot get my gun? I had it locked up in my office. When was the last time you saw the gun in your office? I kept it under lock in my office. I never actually take it out. I only have it for emergencies. Oh, the neighborhood has gotten so bad. I hate the thing. Hate all those dirty things like it, but I kept it just in case. You never know if some drug pusher or addict or the like might stumble in looking for cash. But I... I hadn't taken it out in years. Can I see where you store it? Sure, underneath my desk in the cabinet. I walked over to the desk, past piles of paperwork and scripts. Underneath the desk was a single metal cabinet. The lock had been picked discreetly, and I could see how the manager might not have noticed it. Who else has access to the building? No one. You don't have a cleaner, janitor, anything? I let them all go a month ago. Fired them? Laid off, he corrected me sternly. Many of them upset? Yes, all of them. They lost their jobs, for heaven's sake. But they wouldn't. They'd have no reason to hurt the young man. They didn't even know him. Besides, I changed all the locks after they left. You have to be careful in a neighborhood like this. But you said they wouldn't do a thing like this. Then why change the locks? The manager's lips tightened. I could see I offended him. By extension, a female police officer standing next to him. If any of them threw out the key, or were to misplace it, or if they got mad and were to throw it in the street, someone could break in and try to loot the place. You have no idea the trouble I go through trying to keep the looters out. They see art and priceless pieces as memorabilia to sell for drugs. Take me through last night, please. The manager huffed, and I looked at the officer who told him I was okay. He doesn't seem all that shook up, I offered bluntly. The manager didn't appreciate this any more than my last question, and he slammed his fists against the arms of the chair. I was here, counting money and losses. The young man who wrote me the script, an alien named Vidal, he cost me a lot of money with this idea of his. He told me that he wanted to have me have some sort of trial run before the big show in the Metacropolis. He was hoping to eventually franchise his play out, have plays all across the ICA. Instead, he got himself shot. How rude of him. The old man scowled, and I leaned over and checked the lock on the cabinet again. Oh, I'm no monster, Inspector. Easy as that would make your life. But you didn't know this young man. Grandiose promises, connections to Axiom. The robots would be delivered at only minimal cost. The pitch of his voice elevated as he broke off into a sarcastic imitation. I'm going to need all that information from you. Where you got the robots from, who had access to them, all that. That won't be hard, the manager said amusedly. He was laughing at me. I suppose he felt I missed the obvious. I got them from Axiom, 
and the one who set them up put them together for me. He's the one upstairs with the hole in his chest. And he's the only one. It was a tech crew, but he was in charge. And the rest of them haven't been around for at least a week. He was the primary technician. The only one who's touched them for the last week. He fiddled with them repeatedly, regularly. I thought about this for a minute. It's possible the program was put on a timer, but I wasn't technically savvy enough to work out the details in my head. A couple of other suggestions ran through my mind, but I reserved judgment. I found the biggest thing to good detective work was making sure you weren't hoping the facts would lead to a certain end. It was best to take each piece of information by itself without drawing too many conclusions. Of course, I knew that Greg would have wanted me to have the manager handcuffed and charged by now, but I wasn't Greg, not even if the Vaillere were coming. So you heard the shot. You come up from the office, and you see what? What you saw, the kid, dead, and that machine holding the gun, but... Moreau stopped suddenly. He wouldn't look at me. He started tapping his fingers against the arm of his chair really quickly. What? He shook his head and I asked again. You're going to think I'm nuts. This whole situation is nuts. Normal wouldn't make sense. The girl. He broke off. He tried to temper himself with a forced laugh. The machine was crying. I'd never seen it before. It was crying and then it screamed. Like a real woman. In pain. And slumped over. Moreau's foot tapped wildly. He was the director of its own musical number, and the rest of him followed soon after. Limbs, hair, teeth, it all shook. All of him shook, until the officer put her hand on him and made him take another sip of water. The thing's entire hard drive is blown. Probably happened the same time it shut off, I said. Some sort of program? The officer asked, keeping her voice low like she were trying to protect Moreau. Yeah. I said loudly. I wasn't going to do the old man any favors. Probably programmed to self-destruct and scream. Whoever did it liked a dramatic effect. Fitting in the heart of a playhouse. Moreau, you know this kid well? Moderately. I mean, as well as anyone gets to know anyone these days. He trailed off and took another sip of his drink. After I got the machine set up three weeks ago... He'd come in and do some work. He was in contact with the writer, helped make sure the robots got all their lines. He understood all that. I, I know nothing about computers or any of it. I was totally relying on him to make sure they got the lines and functioned properly. So he was here a lot, all the time. At first, he was always fiddling around with all of them. There's only a few on the stage, but backstage there's stacks of them. I don't have any room for them. And what am I supposed to do with them? A few individuals made some offers, but not anyone I want to deal with. I studied on Atlas under Sir Herman Ugdenberg. I hated the certainty in which he said this. Like any of that meant anything now. There'd be no records left of Ugdenberg or Moreau or Almier. There'd just be the Vaillere and Sextus and Purges and rewrites. Was he here all this week? Ever since Vidal was shot, his visits 
had been more sporadic, but still regular, nearly daily. He wanted me to still go on with the show, but I couldn't. But Dow wouldn't give us the entire script. He only gave us the first half. He said he'd deliver the rest of it before opening night. We had half a show, and I took out considerable loans to pay for these machines in the first place. The lines and the acting? Was that all programmed? Yes, precisely. Vidal controlled all of it, all the voices, the movements. They were all done under Vidal, and we were just waiting for the programming. The programming had to be installed, and the machines could be finicky, but the kid... Proteus was quite talented. He kept them running. Isaac was the best, Moreau said with a sudden warmness. I liked the young man. He reminded me of my son. He trailed off and then put his leg back over his right knee. He was the only one with access to the machines. If there was something wrong with them, he would have known. Did anyone sweep the lock? I asked the officer. She said no, and I snapped. Of course. Can I get the paperwork from you, Mr. Moreau? Moreau got up, went into his desk, and then handed me an overstuffed manila folder. This invoice is in all types of loan information. Keep it. When they come after me for the money, I'll send them your way. One more question for you, Moreau. I know it sounds ridiculous, but all this stuff, it's, it's over my head. I don't lie and pretend to be a particularly brilliant man or even a smart man, but get on with it, Moreau snapped. He wasn't amused. Did Isaac, Mr. Proteus, did he seem happy? What do you mean by that? How could anyone be happy these days? Well, that's what I mean. What I'm saying is, did he seem unusually sad? Lethargic, complained to you about the war, his job. Did he become irresponsible with everyday things, things people need to do like bathe or eat or clean their clothes? You're trying to imply that he... I'm just asking about him. He was fine, perfectly clean and well-bathed, even brushed his teeth with regularity as far as I could tell, he replied sarcastically. He was excited about the show. He was even trying to write an ending to it himself. Told me that between the two of us, we could finish it. He loved it. Loved being here and working on all of them. More he loved the Abbey, the theater. He believed in it. Believed in the power that still exists here. He used to watch all the plays when he was a kid. As angry as he was with me, the old man couldn't prevent smiling as he talked about the boy. Thank you. That will be all. There are a number I can reach you at? Niobe has it, he said, pointing to the officer. You can get it from her. As I walked out of the door, Niobe whispered something to the old man and then followed after me. She was frantic, her breath loud and quick. Inspector, can I speak with you? I turned and nodded. As tired as I was, I was beginning to admit to myself how intriguing the case had become. To be honest, I was beginning to enjoy it, as gruesome as that might sound, being happy to look into a boy's death, but it gave me something to do other than watch the sky, and this was not something easily discounted. The best comparison I could come up with would be a kid playing with a toy set up in the waiting room of a hospital, and now here, this beautiful woman was chasing after me, all out of breath like she'd just run a mile, 
her hair slightly undone and messy, and I started seeing myself the star of my own crime movie. I'm worried about Moreau, she said, and I thought about what it might have felt like to have her worried about me. He didn't seem all that shook up. You have to admit that. Not that. It's... I know Grek wants this handled quickly. Everyone knows that. Axiom. The way things are with the war, but... What is it? I was growing impatient. I couldn't understand why. But the girl and her concern over the old man, she barely knew, angered me. With everything, everything that would end, why did he deserve her concern? What made him so lucky? I'm worried they'll want you to pin it on him. For convenience. I know this sounds terrible, but I trust you. I've heard you always keep clean and... Just keep an ear open, you know? She looked at me, her eyes wide. I looked at her and watched her touch my hand and smile pleadingly before she went back into the room. I stood in the hallway for a few seconds. Then I looked through the file, sort of as a reflex. In it was the engineer's information, his number, his address, and above all else, his position in Axiom Industries. Then I noticed something strange. A handwritten post-it note attached to one of the papers. It was written by Isaac. It read, He's dead, but it's no matter. We'll all die soon. But the work will live on, and the story will be told. The story is all that matters, and no one can stop it. Not even them. I took it out, folded it up, and put it in my pocket. listening to the Red Rabbit Podcast. I am your host, Ticket Hickory. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review and subscribe. Until next time, brave travelers. <laughs>